and welcome back to the Vintage Podcast with me, Lena Norms. Uh, today on the Vintage Podcast, uh, we have Rosie Price. Uh, Rosie Price's book, What Red Was, is possibly one of the most anticipated debut novels uh, I've heard about this year. So we're really excited to have her on the podcast. In this episode, uh, we talk about the nuances of telling the stories of trauma, the politics of social mobility, Virginia Woolf, Uh, and lots of other things but do bear in mind um, for those listeners who are sensitive to it we do have some brief mentions of rape in this episode so that's just something to keep in mind uh, as we roll on Uh, without further ado I will not stand between you and Rosie Price Um, here she is I I think you're going to absolutely love her Um, so tell me about your relationship with books in general um, as we talk about your relationship with your book Um, because um, like me you probably grew up reading what kind of stuff did you read when you were kind of a teenager and when into uni when I was younger yeah, yeah. Um, well I read loads when I was a kid um, I used to read at the dinner table so everyone else would be talking and I would have a hardback book propped <laughs> around my plate nice. and I would just disappear behind it and once when I went away the first time I went away for a long time when I was a kid my brother just put a book at the end of the table and it was just oh. me <laughs> Still a little the, fortress yeah. of Rosie. Just like. <laughs> it was as if I was still there. Um, <laughs> um, and yeah, I think when I... I, I, did, I read English at university um, and the book that kind of really made me want to do English was Middlemarch by George Eliot. Mm. Um, I felt such a feeling of triumph when I finished it because it's 800 pages long. Yeah, that's uh, a... And I was completely absorbed by it. And what I love about George Eliot is the fact that she has this ability to put herself into the shoes of all her characters. It doesn't matter how different they are. Um, She has just such empathy. And I think, for me, that's the most important thing about being a novelist, is to be able to see the world from all these different perspectives. And for the reader, going into a world that that they don't know, and then to suddenly become so invested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, that they have to know what's going to happen and what this person is going to do. Um, so, yeah, and then I read English at university and um, it was always kind of a way of understanding more about myself, um, despite certain blind spots. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, yeah, it was, it's always never not been a part of me I guess yeah and have you always wanted to write were you always kind of like things are ticking over in your head as you were reading or yeah yeah Mm. that's that is why I studied English actually Mm. because I thought I just have to read everything in order to write um but of course at some stage you have to stop reading and just (laughs) take the leap and start writing yourself yeah Um, and so the topic that you tackle in what read was is is very personal Um, and there's obviously a temptation there to write in first person but mm -hmm. what I liked about the book is that you write from all these different perspectives and it's in third Mm. person and it's but it's also very intimate what made you want to tackle it from all these different angles oh that's really interesting question I uh in fact before I started the novel um so so the reason I started writing it was because I was sexually assaulted and I wanted to make sense of what had happened. Um, and I first wrote a scene of sexual assault. It was a rape, a short story that included a rape. Um, and I wrote that in first person, actually. Okay. And it was very intense and very raw. And it's not something I've shown to many people because mm-hmm. it's incredibly personal. Um, and I was sort of writing in first person and... I just needed to step out of 
that very close sort of relationship with mm. the character that I was trying to create because part of the one of the great things about writing is something personal is that you get to distance yourself from it so this character isn't you she doesn't do what you would have done she doesn't react how you would have reacted maybe at some points she does but her whole world is created and it's different so um so when I went into third person I was suddenly able to see so much more clearly um what her what she was struggling with and probably be kinder to her as well um, and also understand other people's reactions to what I was going through and what mm. Kate was going through um, because you're just not so in it anymore. You're sort of at a distance and um, you're the observer. Yeah, you get to kind of circle it <laughs> and inspect it from all angles. Exactly, than... exactly, which you learn yeah. so much by doing that. You learn so much. Yeah, and um, obviously like there are connections that people have already talked about between like this sexual assault and this this um bigger conversation about me too and the and the like, it, not always the central conflict being the assault but the the decision as to whether to talk about it mm. or not mm. um but you were you've been writing this for for a while and and obviously mm. me the me too movement came to more prominence you know as you were going through that process how yeah. how did you feel about that and the connections that would be made uh it was it was kind of eerie in a way uh it mm. was I think I was coming to the end of a draft, a f first draft, when Me Too really exploded. And I, it was eerie because I already had a character who was a female filmmaker who had this experience of sexual assault that had been repressed. And then was making a film about it. And <laughs> was, yeah, and yeah. So, so it was kind of eerie um, and there was the temptation to pin it very closely to what was going on, but mm. I felt like it was too sort of in it to see it clearly. You know, mm. it was all so contemporaneous. I wanted to, again, distance myself from yeah. it. Um, but what was really important and what I was my um, ambition from the beginning was not to only linger on the shocking scene of the rape and kind of the 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 moment and the powerlessness and the violence and what happens while the rape is taking place but it's aftermath and I was keen that the rape should take place fairly early on in the novel mm. um, so is, that wasn't the crescendo is, and the focus exactly yeah. this is quite a big spoiler I realise <laughs> <laughs> I mean <laughs> um, but um, what I wanted to look at was the after effects and kind of the mundanity of trauma mm. the fact that it's not just one big crisis and then you have your hashtag me too moment which mm. I do think is necessary well okay I don't think it's necessary but it can be very very empowering for recovery to speak out not everyone wants to speak out and it doesn't help everyone mm. but it can be a huge moment but there's also everything after that once you've said this has happened to me you're not suddenly better that is only the beginning mm. that is um the beginning of getting help maybe seeking justice maybe getting therapy maybe having medication talking to your family friends it's kind of the day-to-day -day. um and there are um there's a scene in the book which is one of my favorite scenes where um kate wants to is 
wants to ring uh, a helpline. She's finally decided that she's going to ring a helpline and she's told Max about what has happened to her. Um, though she has excluded certain crucial details. Mm. Um, and uh, he makes a phone call for her because she's so nervous. And he, he rings up and he says, can I speak to the person in charge of panic attacks? I'm Kate Quayle's assistant. Um, and he makes it into this whole joke. And mm. he kind of, which is, is kind of important to me that to have it recognized that dealing with trauma is kind of a day-to-day thing it's like changing your whole existence around it but that also means it can um be riffed on and yeah yeah, played with yeah yeah. and integrated into not just the bad bits of your life but kind Mm. of you can find hope in those moments as well which was quite important Mm. to me to write about um so yeah I guess um in answer to your question, it is informed by that moment of revelation, but it's also what happens after that. Mm. Um, and of course, the question of whether one, whether a rape survivor does decide to talk about what's happened to them um, is a huge question and varies so much from case to case. And mm. that was something I was very keen to explore, uh, which does also have parallels with the Me Too movement because it's kind of what have you got to lose by speaking out for a lot of the women who have very bravely spoken out the reason they weren't able to before is because they had careers to lose or some of them did lose careers mm-hmm. or money or security or safety yeah um yeah. and again I, I guess that intersects with class because what i liked about mm. the book is that they meet at university and that's often what, at the point of people's lives where they meet people from different classes <laughs> and different walks of life yeah. and, and how that intersects with safety and opportunity because obviously yeah. like through the family yeah. Um, Kate has this huge amount of opportunity <laughs> mm. um, so that must have been interesting to write about that kind of intersection between class and yeah. sexual politics yes it kind of um, I mean there's a lot of sense of entitlement from uh, some of the male characters in the novel um, which I, I, I think obviously has a lot to do with class and sexual politics um, as you say but also also what Kate has she's kind of got a shifting her education is allowing her to move Mm. um from a working class background to a middle class background um in in some senses if not financial then perhaps in terms of opportunity and a lot of the opportunities are offered her because of her friendship with this family Mm. so when this friendship suddenly is tainted it kind of becomes a question of what she has to lose and what what her identity is now if she doesn't have this relationship. Yeah, and how easily she can be thrown back again <laughs> yeah. into a different thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you know, like 2019 on Vintage Channels, we're trying to read more women. Uh, we're doing a Vintage Women book club where we're reading um, a new book with a classic. Uh, and this month is your month. <laughs> um, we're reading your book alongside Mrs. Dalloway, which yeah. is actually your choice. Can you tell me a bit about, because um, when I asked you like, oh, okay, what, what classic would you ideally want to pair with your book not necessarily your favorite book but it's one that you think speaks to your book in some way tell me a bit about why you chose mrs dalloway the reason i chose mrs dalloway is because it examines so searingly the kind of parallel experiences that can exist there's Mm. a one character septimus who's experiencing a sort of post-traumatic 
break down following his experience in the trenches in World War One. But then there's Mrs. Dalloway, who is worrying about what flowers to buy for her dinner party. And um, because Virginia Woolf moves from through the consciousnesses of these characters, she's kind of moving freely from Mrs. Dalloway to her daughter, to her husband, to her suitors, to dinner party guests, to Septimus, to Septimus's wife. And you sort of, and she's kind of roaming through London as she does this. Um, there's this idea of these kind of very hidden selves that exist that she kind of draws connections between. So you see this terrible trauma being experienced, but you also see kind of airs and graces and um, sort of English repression and concerns about class and status mm. suddenly just thrown in by the way it's written, um, thrown in completely together. And that was what resonated with me so strongly because throughout writing What Red Was, I was kind of thinking about how socially unacceptable it is to kind of talk about sexual assault at the dinner table or... Still. Yeah, yeah. or or not maybe not unacceptable, but how sh- uncomfortable it makes people. Um, and it's kind of that intrusion of real life, of real traumatic experience of suffering on civilised society and there's this incredible scene in Mrs. Dalloway uh, at the end where Septimus who has con- uh, am I allowed to give spoilers about I, th- I think it's a, it's been long enough that I think okay. uh, Miss Dalloway's spoilers are fine okay so Septimus who uh, who has committed suicide uh, is taken away in an ambulance his body is taken away in an ambulance and his doctors are sort of so concerned with the fact that his body must not be seen and Peter Walsh one of the characters a friend of suitor of Mrs Dalloway um, he uh God, that's an old-fashioned word, but I think that's, that's, that's what it was, the co- <laughs> people who caught. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And he, he comments, it's a triumph, it is one of the great triumphs of civilization um, that an ambulance comes and sort of scrapes this person off the pavement and hides it from everybody's sight. So yeah. people aren't sort of... Faced with their own mortality. <laughs> yeah, people aren't upset by the sight of, you know, something terrible happening to someone. Someone who has also been let down by society has been let, kind mm. of... Um, and it's kind of this intersection, this kind of clash between uh, the terrible things that human beings can do to each other and can suffer and the way that they communicate um, mm. and how much is unsaid that kind of drew me in and it ma- makes me think about my own writing and, mm. um, yeah. Yeah, because you worked at a literary agency I for did. a while and then you gave it up to write this. I did. That's brave. <laughs> yeah, I took the leap. I kind of, I got to a point where I was uh, writing at work uh, and I thought, I think I need to quit now because <laughs> I'm not doing my job. You're just writing a book in the body of an email yeah. and <laughs> emailing it to yourself. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so I decided that... Um, that it was time to take the leap mm. um, and it was a very good decision I think I think so gave me the time and space and suddenly yeah. once I had all that time I as soon as I had all that time I just wrote so quickly it all came yeah. kind of once the world was there it was all yeah yeah perfect well thank you so much for writing it it was incredible thank you for reading it <laughs> 
Thank you so much for listening to the Vintage Podcast. That was Rosie Price talking about her book, What Red Was. Now, if you like the sound of What Red Was and you'd like to read it with other people, we would love for you to come over to our Facebook group. Uh, We are taking a challenge reading as many women as possible in 2019. Uh, If you go to po.st slash vintage women, you can join our secret feminist book club uh, and read What Red Was alongside Mrs. Dalloway. Uh, which is the book that Rosie was talking about at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, We'd love to see you over there. Don't forget to share this podcast if you liked it. You can follow us at Vintage Books on Instagram and Twitter. I have been Lena Norms and until next time. 